Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. These two guys have Minnesota sports flowing in their veins. Mackie and Chad on Score North and scorenorth.com. That's right. Welcome in, not to a Minnesota sports discussion, to a movie discussion. This, I believe, is the 88th movie rewind we have done since the franchise began back in 2020 during the pandemic. And gentlemen, we have stumbled into one of the first movies that I think crosses over into multiple different Mackie and Judd movie rewind categories. So, Jerry Maguire, 1996. We originally had this slated, so we've got action movie rewind, we've got sports movie rewind, and we have rom-com rewind, all under the movie reviews with Mackie and Judd franchise, which, by the way, there's a new podcast feed for all of the movies we have reviewed going back three years. You can find it on Apple, Spotify, I believe sometime here soon, if not now, scorenorth.com and the Scornorth app. And we've seen a, a bunch of you, uh, a bunch of you have already given us a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple. So thank you as we look to grow that podcast feed. I think this movie is both a sports movie and a rom-com. And I think we should, once we get to the categories, I think we should do all of those categories. Okay. So we'll do statements like sure. we always do. But once we get to like the back half of the episode, sure. I think we're doing a one through ten scale on the relationship. I think we're doing it on like the uh, sport the sports action. I think we have to combine rom com and sports movie into one so we can cover this movie properly. I think that's absolutely fine. I like it. And okay. in, in fact we, we can probably have a really good discussion about how it might have succeeded in one thing and not in another. Wow. Already tipping his hands in the this statement was by, section. By the way, breaking news. I don't think I have acknowledged this before. This was my first time ever seeing Jerry Maguire. I never Whoa. saw it. Um, I've never seen it. Start to finish. I think I've only seen it once. I've seen scenes numerous times. My parents loved this movie. Um, oh, oh, oh. oh, interesting. So I, I think this was also like my first real conscious, like 
start to finish I've ever done in this movie too. Oh man. But you're young. Thing. I'm I'm old. It's mm-hmm. I mean, I could have seen this when it came out. It's I feel like it's almost impossible for a guy that's worked in sports media for 3 decades and and was not like 6 Please years old that. when the movie came out or 4 Please years old. It. So wow, there's a lot to unpack here. I've seen this movie a lot. It is uh it is like just a really easy movie to just kind of step into if it's on TV. So let's get into it. Here's the summary of Jerry Maguire 1996. Mm-hmm. When slick sports agent Jerry Maguire, played by Tom Cruise, has a crisis of conscience, he pens a heartfelt company-wide memo that promptly gets him fired. Desperate to hang on to the athletes that he represents, Jerry starts his own management firm with only single mother Dorothy Boyd, played by, uh, played by Renee Zellweger, joining him in his new venture. Banking on their sole client, football player Rod Tidwell, Jerry and Dorothy begin to fall in love as they struggle to make their business work. 84% on Rotten Tomatoes. The critics' consensus said, anchored by dazzling performances from Tom Cruise, Cuba Gooding Jr., and Renee Zellweger, as well as Cameron Crowe's tender direction, That's true. Jerry Maguire meshes romance with sports and panache. Panache. It's a good word. That's a great word. Panache. By the way, Cameron Crowe, you know the first movie he ever wrote? Um, Actually, I do. Um, Declan. Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Yeah, Fast Times. That's right. I was trying to think of the name. He wrote it like a a 23-year-old or something. He wrote Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Yep. All right. A $50 million budget turned into $274 million at the old box office. This movie starred a cavalcade of famous actors and actresses, and then all that the cameos are impossible to count. But Tom Cruise, Cuba Gooding Jr., Renee Zellweger, Jay Moore making his, I think, big movie debut here. Looked very different back then. Yeah, I was on a podcast with him. He was on the Tom Bernard show like two weeks ago on a Friday, and we did like 30 minutes together. So he's still doing the stand-up tour. Uh, Jerry O'Connell, Kelly Preston, rest in peace. Bonnie Hunt, Regina King, Roy Firestone, Troy Aikman, Jim Earsay, like all these, all these folks. Uh, production notes for you guys. Feel free to chime in here, and then we'll get to statements. Mm-hmm. Cuba Gooding Jr. won an Oscar for Best Supporting Actor in this movie. It's very good. Cameron Crowe originally wrote the screenplay for Tom Hanks. Crow took so long to oh, write yeah. the screenplay that by the time the film was ready to be made, he thought Hanks was too old to play the part. Woody Harrelson was offered the role but turned Ooh, it down. I would have liked that. Interesting. Very different film with him. Can you imagine? Yeah. Woody Not worse, Harrelson. just very different. Very, very different. different. Janet Jackson auditioned and was initially accepted for the role of Marcy Tidwell. And then it later went to Regina King. I don't know why, why it wasn't Janet Jackson, but. Jamie Foxx unsuccessfully auditioned for the role of Rod Tidwell. I can see that, too. Yep. Big time. Tracks, big time. Here's a list of women that were all considered for the part of Dorothy that wound up going to Renee Zellweger. Patricia Arquette, Kate Beckinsale, Bridget Fonda, Winona Ryder, Marissa Tomei, Cameron Diaz, Uma Thurman, and Jennifer Lopez. Wow. That is an array of actresses. I think Tomei would have done it well. I think J-Lo would have done it well. Um, she plays the damsel in a lot of rom-coms. Yep, yep. You know? But she would have played it very differently. Yes, yeah, of course, I mean, all of them yeah. would have. But, but I, I can see those two, I think, being the front runners that could have done this successfully. Cameron Diaz, that would have been, because at, at that time, 
first of all, I think she was just about to go or had gone red hot. And second of all, she had gone. She, yep. She was pretty good and stuff too. Yeah. The mask was already out by this point. There's yeah. This is the best selling VHS tape of all time that was not released by Disney. So Disney with all oh, their okay. cartoons and stuff. So take Disney out. It's the best non-Disney VHS tape of all time. Wow. Over yeah. 3 million copies were sold in the first week of this movie being released on tape. Interesting. Insane. Mm-hmm. So with that, that's the framing of now, Jerry Maguire. This film was based on, loosely based on Lee Steinberg's experiences as an agent, correct? I believe so. Yeah. And he's in it at the end, at the very end, just a quick cameo. Yep. But I think that that was the one. And I mean, Lee has had a, Lee has had a very interesting up and down life as well. So yeah, we hit, well, he, man, he, so he was the quarterback agent throughout the eighties and nineties had all the big name quarterbacks. Yes, sir. And then he kind of went away, had some personal problems, but now he's back representing a bunch of top quarterbacks. So Mm -hmm. anyways, let's start with Judd here. Statements about Jerry Maguire. Okay. So I I got a bunch and since it's, the first time that I've actually watched this, I knew this, but this film watching the whole thing drove this home. And that is the number of just nineties lines that became popular that originated or came from this film. Yep. Of course there's help me help you. There is the phrase you had me at hello. And then of course, show me the money. Um, there's there's more this, too. There's you complete me. Yep. There's mm-hmm. who's coming with me, which yep. that might have yep. been yeah a thing beforehand. But at least four of them were like super popular lines, and like all from th- this film. It definitely this film, if nothing else, definitely had an impact on '90s culture. Oh my god, yeah. This was one of my big statements too that this movie spawned an insane amount of catchphrases. So one of the funny anecdotes is I was kind of researching the backstory of this movie, Cameron Crowe. Had so they they get to the point where Renee Zellweger has to do that. You have me at hello line, and she had been looking at the script for you know, weeks, whatever. And she's like, "There's one line in this movie that I don't I don't understand. Is it a typo? I it, I can't phonetically even like hear it in my head. So on paper it says you had me at hello, and she's like, "What does that mean?" And it took her forever to kind of figure out how to read the line on camera, how to get it to stick. And really? it became obviously became one of the more famous lines of the nineties. You have me at hello. You have me at hello. I'm looking for my wife. <laughs> that was another one too. Yes. But yeah, it's it's crazy. Like I and I was probably twelve years old, eleven years old when this movie came out. And my idiot friends and I, show me the money. Show me oh, the yeah. money. You know? Iconic scene. <laughs> it's a well done scene too. Mm-hmm. It's really well money. It's really show well me. done. He's like been fired already. He's just sitting yeah. in his office. <laughs> By the way, the there's one of the scenes like I don't think it was no, it wasn't show me the money because because Cuba was in the the kitchen for that one. But there was another scene where where Tibwell's getting out of the shower and he's naked and they yep. only have it from the waist up. But in his audition, he did the audition. They said he said uh, so. This scene calls for Rod to be naked, right? And they said, yep. He literally takes off his clothes in the middle of the audition and says. And let's do it naked. I'm getting this part. I'll do whatever I need to do to get this part. And he read the he read That's the awesome. lines naked. <laughs> he was good, man. Yep. He was dedicated to the scenes. All right, Dex. All right, so I feel like some of my statements are going to come off as very harsh and also that I didn't like this film. But I want that just out there before we get to our rankings eventually. Okay. But my first statement, 
here because we use this word during the notebook. And I'm going to bring it now full circle to Jerry Maguire. Both Jerry Maguire and Dorothy are schleps. I don't, I, I can't <laughs> stand either of these two people as romantic partners. They are horrible together. Uh, yeah. Their chemistry is awful. They, 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 when they finally sleep together, she gets upset because he asked her to hold some muffins. And now, like, I know it's more than just the holding of the muffins, but really? And the painful, into, I, I've said this, I think, three times now on Tom Cruise-related films. There is no one cringier in intimate scenes than Tom Cruise. Yeah. It is this is in my notes. Awful. 100% it is correct. skin-crawling yes. awful, dude. <laughs> yes. I can't, I, I, I'm now, like, trying to, trying to watch Tom Cruise films without thinking of Top Gun, like this one, I believe there's some other one. I even uh, uh, Days of Thunder, right? We did Days of Thunder where there was like yeah. a weird, intimate scene. No one is creepier. And these two individuals together as romantic people, I made my skin boil. I could not stand. What them. is it? Because I can't put my thumb on it. But you're right. There's there's like a there's a weird lack of connection between Tom and whoever the actress is in almost every movie. It's almost like I don't know, man. He's just and it's not the actress's fault. Like that's the yeah. Thing. There's a common like he's denominator. The common denominator. You're I I get this in my notes exactly like that, Dex. It's You're so, so right. Yeah, there's and we'll get to the the ranking of their chemistry and whatnot. But I'll I'll actually okay. I'll, I'm gonna piggyback off the relationship. Okay. I don't understand what happened in this relationship. Yeah. So I get it at first, and it's it's made very clear that. Tom Cruise is a very codependent guy, right? Jerry Maguire, he can't be alone. Yep. Is what everyone always says. And they even run that little video tribute to him, all these women. He can't be alone. He can't be alone. And he kind of internalizes it and feels bad about it. And then he just like goes right back into the habit of, oh, the literally the first woman that shows me any sort of attention or affection, I'm going to become enamored with. And then they kind of for reasons that have nothing to do with the actual relationship, they wind up getting married to find some tax loopholes while they struggle financially, whatever, which we'll get back to that too. So, but then it's determined, it, it starts to make sense that they both realize, especially Dorothy, hey, this is kind of a shotgun wedding. You're really only doing this. Like, you like me and that's fine, but I have a son. She was kind of implying too, like, you've got other options out there. You're a freaking sports agent. And it's and they both kind of agree, yep, I'm gonna go to San Diego. Or they were she was already in San Diego, but this isn't really gonna work. And they take kind of a break from each other. Yep. All right. He doesn't even disagree. He doesn't even fight it. She basically says, Hey, let's just end this. Right? This isn't really this is just kind of a it's like a summer fling. And he was basically like, I'm glad you said it, because I didn't want to hurt your feelings, right? <laughs> But then he's like, and then the movie ends with this big grandiose, like he comes, he has this, he has this elation moment on Monday Night Football. And by the way, by the way, okay, that game took place in Phoenix, I believe. Yeah, Sun Devil Stadium, supposedly. And was she living in San Diego or L.A. at the time? I think she was living. So, so she was living like. No, I thought she didn't go to San Diego. I thought when they got married, she stayed in Los Angeles. That was the whole point. But my question is, so that game gets over, that Monday Night Football game, with a big medical delay, by the way. So that game probably ended at like 10.30 or 11 o'clock. Yep. And then they do all the post-game stuff, and Jerry and Rod Tidwell are hugging. and So all the post-game media stuff 
we've now gone at least an hour after the game is over. So now it's like midnight. Am I wrong here, timeline-wise? For a Monday night football game, Rod Tibble gets dressed, showers, yeah, comes out. West Coast would probably be uh, 10 o'clock. I guess you're right. West, West Coast is 11, probably 10, 10 o'clock. 10.30, I don't know. but yeah. And then he hops on a plane, gets in a car, whatever it takes. Minimum four or five hours to get to Phoenix, where she lives, somewhere. And all these women are just, like, gathered in the living room. When he showed up to get his wife back, that was the same night. He said tonight was one of the best nights of our business. So are they just hanging out at, like, 3 o'clock in the morning? I mean, I I just accepted it. It was, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. I guess I didn't put that together. It didn't track at all, but I, I just didn't care. Okay. But yeah, it had to have yes, been very, it very it would have been odd the gathering. All these yeah. women are just like hanging out, bitching about men at yes. three o'clock in the morning on a Monday. Yep. <laughs> I don't know. So it just didn't make sense. Like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Of course, they're going right. to break up. This relationship makes no sense. And then he decides that, no, we're going to be together. I'm not going to let you let me go because I'm Tom Cruise. Mm-hmm. Okay. Next statement. As intriguing as the acting is, and there's a lot to, to break down with with Cruz and and this entire cast. This film and its writing, which I didn't think was impeccable, but I've got a, a statement about that to come. This film and its writing and what Declan just talked about with the uncomfort, the uncomfort of Tom Cruise in love scenes and in relationships put a spotlight on the genius of Cameron Crowe. And here's why. The fact that they just broke it off as almost plutonic is what Cruise is like. And so I think what we had was the studio and Cameron Crowe, total guess here, but go with me. I think the studio and Cameron Crowe came to an agreement because it made sense. Like when they broke up, it made sense because it was just like, there's nothing here. There's no spark as usual. The end, I think, was the studio saying, we've got to tie this up. Like it's got to end. It can't just end. So I think it can't that, just end with the con the guy getting a contract. Exactly. Although that would have been a happy ending to the movie too. The guy gets a contract, right? But the relationship, and, but they, but I think the studio wants it all t- tied up, right? The contract, the relationship, but at least then it was like you didn't have to suffer as a viewer and watch Tom Cruise awkwardly go about things. So I really think that this shows, and I mean, Cameron Crowe is outstanding. He's he is one of my favorites. I think that this whole film showed the genius of him saying. At least halfway through, I'm going to acknowledge the, the fact that anything that this guy is cast in from a relationship standpoint, despite the fact he's supposed to be a sex symbol, is really uncomfortable. So you're basically saying, they, regardless of the order in which they film the scenes, you're saying they got about an hour in the movie and they're like, you know what, let's just kind of take a break from this weird relationship and then yeah. we'll tie it up at the very end. Yes, because <laughs> when they broke up, it actually did make sense because it's like, this is so... As Dex said, he's right. Again, this is so uncomfortable. I, I actually thought when we talked about the second Top Gun, they did a great job of creating a love story, but they glossed past it. Yeah. Like the sex scenes were just, that one was just she like, She leaves bang. the door open. Like exactly. It, 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 yes, it was great. That one like, was like, fine. Cruz cannot be cast in a real role where you have to plausibly believe that this guy can carry on a relationship. That move, I even wrote down, it's aggressive move to go right for second base, even when you're a little tipsy, when they're on the couch yeah, there. Just, just, uh, it's it's so cringy, man. It's so, so right cringy. It. Just write it. Also, the scene where they kiss outside the door. Yeah. And he just, so he like darts for her face and then stops. Well, and then he and then like kind of pulls back and then she grabs the back her? of his head. and yeah. On the doorstep, he's like taking her 
Right. And it's just, it's very awkward. And, and, and he makes it worse. And then he just lingers outside instead of yeah. walking in, right? Just, you know, that was yeah. part of the script. Yeah. But anyhow, all right, Dex. Uh, my statement is, where the hell is human resources at SMI? Is there <laughs> is there a human resources department oh. here? Because it does not exist. He gets <laughs> softly fired, basically, at this coffee shop. And then is allowed to go back into yes. his office, start <laughs> making numerous calls to clients. Yeah, like, show me the money! He's, no, yep. he's, who is this guy? He then walks out and does, you know, I know what you think what I'm going to do, which is just freak out. Like there <laughs> he is spent the rest of the day there. There is no human. And I look, I know the rhetoricalness of sports agency life, human resources like that would be a terrible, you know, Venn diagram to cross. There is no human resources at this company. Where where is this? Where 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 it is, is Henderson at SMI? It doesn't exist. No, it's a great it's a great point. Like the fact that so and we find out that the Bob Sugar is younger than Jerry. And Jerry so Jerry's 35. Jerry says he's 35 years old. And Bob Sugar referred to Jerry as like, "Hey, you're my I'm mentor. your protege, you're my mentor." Yeah. They sent me to fire you. Mm-hmm. And that's why we're in a crowded restaurant so there there isn't a scene. Of course the mm-hmm. scene then takes place anyways back at the but how is he allowed office. to come back and make calls from his office? He spends the rest of the day in the office he's been fired from. It is right. incredible. Also, wouldn't yeah, wouldn't he have a non compete even if he gets fired? Wouldn't would the well, firing trigger the end of the non compete clause? Because I I'm pretty sure you can't just leave an agency because otherwise agencies agencies have to build in that protection, right? Otherwise, I could build up my whole career and my I could just go join CAA yeah. and be plugged into a bunch of connections that I never would have had before. And then go start my own company with no buffer period and bring all these new connections over. Like there has to be a non-compete. But if you get fired, does the non-compete not kick in? Like he, they fired him and they're literally competing for clients on calls yeah. with him. In the same office, listening to each other. Yeah. Also, he leaves like 70% of his memorabilia in his office. Like, and I, I like, mm. did you notice that too? Like mm. half his stuff is still just loaded with. With yeah. things and plaques. He had and, one box, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I I have also been let go from jobs before where I'm not allowed to come back until a certain period to get my stuff. But <laughs> I found that very odd that he just left so many things and human resources is nowhere to be found to escort this guy out of the building. Yeah. No, that's a great... There's a lot... God, there's so many things about just like the agent world of this movie. I feel like I have three or four notes just kind of piggybacking. <laughs> I'll, I'll, go, I'll go with this one. Get it in writing. So he's dealing with the number one overall pick, star quarterback, the Caleb Williams, the, you know, whoever, whoever, whichever number one pick you want to talk about, right? Yep. And and so he's he's desperate, but he's he gets Rod Tidwell and the number one overall pick who's about to sign a $30 million contract. He's got these two clients and he's got Tidwell under contract, but he's talking to the dad and the dad goes, you know, Jerry says, hey, we should let's get something in writing here just so we can all feel comfortable. And the dad goes, you know, I don't do contracts, Jerry, but you have my word. And my word is stronger than Oak. 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 Which is a great line, by the way. My word is stronger than Oak. Is there any world in which a licensed agent dealing with the number one overall pick in one of the four major men's professional sports leagues would be operating without a signed document? I can't imagine that. And plus, how how about how the dad then leaves McGuire but doesn't really tell him? Right. So what McGuire they, so, what, wait, what was going to happen? Yeah. 
and it's sugar on the phone and mcguire you know deducts deduces sniff if jerry's in the room yeah (laughs) and then bob just spills his gut (laughs) but i mean what so the so they so this guy is is basically at that time what you know Peyton, right? Like he's going to be the top pick. Yeah. And they fire, they change on the eve of the draft. They change agencies, which seems late. And then they don't tell the guy that they're firing. Very cowardly move by the dad. Why wouldn't you just. Yeah. If if Jerry doesn't answer that phone call. You never know. 12 hours later, the draft takes place or, or the, well, wait a second. It felt like it was nighttime. So I didn't really understand that either. The 12 hours later thing. I thought the draft was the next day, but I mean, I, Time doesn't really track in this film either. No, it doesn't. And they kind of go from like, it's uh, it's like spring of the NFL season had just gotten over, and then all of a sudden, like, we've gone now almost a full year to the end of, like, Monday Night Football is in December, but but Jerry hasn't had any income coming in, which we can, we can get into some of that. All right, back to Judd. My next statement is this. If you're going to go to the lengths that they went to to get rights to use the Cardinals and Cowboys, Monday Night Football, like to make it pretty plausible, then you might want to come up with a slightly better storyline on the Tidwell injury. I want to go through the injury here in the game, okay? okay? Okay. So first of all, he makes the catch, gets hit, flips, all very much in sync. Yep, game winner. But then... But, I mean, clearly somebody was supervising this. Like, clearly they they had some direction on football here, which is good. But he flips. He catches the ball. He's knocked unconscious. And the whole time, including when the medical staff comes out to treat him, he's holding the football. Nobody ever takes the football out. It doesn't fall out. Okay, that's that's sort of weird. Well, they don't want to move his arms. He might be be paralyzed. Not as weird as this. Yeah, exactly. Not as weird as this. The trainers are clapping their hands and doing yeah, nothing dude. for a man who needs a backboard, an ambulance, and real doctors. And instead, we get a couple of old Cut. Hey, hey, come on. Come on, baby. Let's go. Wake up. Wake up. Yeah, this guy might have a broken neck, and the trainer's out there like, hey, hey. It, <laughs> you wake it, up? It might be a neck injury, and the last thing is he wakes up, gets up, completely alert, and goes into a dance. But this is kind of how this is kind of how injuries were treated up until about but, fifteen but, or twenty years ago. It wasn't that uncommon for guys in the nineties to just be like, "Ah, all right, I think he's fine." But nobody ever went. I never saw anybody in the nineties go, "Hey, wake up, wake up!" I mean, there's no doctor. I'm just saying they went to great lengths to do some things for that game, especially that looked yeah. realistic. And then Rod Tidwell. You know, it's basically then allowed to get up and do his little dance. And it was just, it was like so bizarre. It's also funny too, the stunt. There's so many ways that they could have filmed him getting injured, like a neck injury or getting crunched or something. And the way that they did it, they clearly had three stuntmen wearing football uniforms and they threw a ball up. And one of the stuntmen wearing a Cardinals uniform catches the football, like jumps up vertically in a way that you would never. And I'm pretty sure he was like facing perpendicular to where the quarterback would be throwing the ball to. He like catches the ball and then two, li- two linemen who are stuntmen very strategically like flip him up and down. It's kind of a weird deal. I take issue by the way, with Dan Deardorff's commentary after Rod Tibwell got up from the injury. So Tibwell gets up, he starts dancing around. He did the Dion dance, right? Spikes the football crowds going crazy. 
And uh, so when he scored the touchdown, the Cardinals were down by three points late in the fourth quarter. They set this up through the commentary. It was, hey, it's seven, Cowboys 17, Cardinals 14. I can't remember if they said four minutes left or if it was just like the clock's winding down in the fourth quarter. And it's obviously portrayed as close to a game-winning touchdown. So there's not much time left. So they presumably this is the old extra point. They would make the extra points. Yes. So now it would be yep. 21 to 17. Yep. Needing so now the Cowboys need a touchdown. And yep. Dan Deardorf says, as he's celebrating, gets a 15-yard penalty. And Dan Deardorf says, he's gonna get a flag on this, but who cares? Yeah. Yep. Dan, that 15-yard penalty could have cost the Cardinals the game in that situation. Okay. Those extra 15 yards maybe set them up for a pass into the end zone or something. How how much did Al not want to be there, too? Oh, God. <laughs> like, you could tell he's just well, like... Well, it's not that much different than the last playoff game he called, right? Right, but that's a, a relatively young Al at, at the time, and you could... I think he hated the gif. That's my guess. Oh, even in, a movie, like, even in a movie? Yeah, sound. yeah, yeah. I don't think he liked the gif. But he was. he sounded so like, oh, my God, I got to do this. I wonder how much Al Michaels made for that. Can we, can we look that up? Al I'm Michaels' pretty... salary, Jerry Maguire. Let's see if anything pops up. Because Al, Al was also oh. with Costas in, in, was it basketball? Mm-hmm. Was he? Yeah. We should review that. Okay, I have a, I have a figure from Sports Illustrated. Look Al Michaels you. did a Q&A. Look at you. Go and uh, can you guess what he was paid for his work in this movie? Uh, $50,000. $80,000. Five thousand dollars. Oh, nice! No wonder he was pissed to be there. Yeah, I would have done like, it. I got a five thousand dollars. <laughs> he's not going over ten words unless you give him another. <laughs> That's couple why. Times. Yeah, no kidding. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Okay, back to Declan. Uh, question, because as someone who grew up, uh, you know, I was born in the 90s, but wasn't really conscious during the 90s. And I stayed in a ton of hotels, obviously. That makes though. two of us, by the way. That's in two different ways, yes. I might be the most equipped to answer this question, actually. (laughs) Did hotel rooms have mailboxes for every room? Like, he distributes those, the the little book he reads, in the mailbox hotel room. That's where he distributes that book. It's not the company. It's in that hotel in Miami, right? Because, like, they're all in the lobby, and he's checking out. The the book he he writes at the beginning of the movie where he has his epiphany. Yeah, those are all distributed. Mm. Like they're all greeted in the hotel lobby as if they were there was mailboxes in the oh, hotel but lobby. A ho- but it, but they all they were all in the office holding a copy. I I assume that he had it like couriered couriered to the office. He went to the Kinkos. 
He went to the Kinkos. But yeah, then he goes no, back but I know what you're talking about. He goes back yeah. to his hotel room. You're and right. And then in the morning of, he's in the lobby of that hotel, and everyone yeah. has a pamphlet. And there is one scene where, like, you know, they're stocking each mail. But to me, I'm interpreting that as, was mm. there just mailboxes for every hotel room in the 90s? I was really confused on how those were distributed. Boy, I, that's a good question. Did that, I, I don't, don't know if that, like, I, I definitely was. I definitely have in my notes wondering, like, how did he get all of that done overnight? And then not only does everyone have a copy, but when he rolls in, he maybe rolled in a little later in the morning, but he rolls in in the morning and everyone has not only read the manuscript, but they've read it enough to digest it and give him a standing ovation as he walks yeah. in. Yeah. What are people? So people, do they not work? Oh, let's all just take well, two this- hours out of our morning and read this whole manuscript and wait for Jerry to walk in. They're at this conference, right? Like yes. at in- at a hotel, and mm-hmm. he gets sick and has this epiphany about life. Um, the other thing that was odd, like a lot of of this film, does not track at all. Uh, before what you're talking about, Dex, w- before he goes to Kinkos, he writes that entire thing in like what three hours yeah. overnight, and then he prints it out. So did he take a printer? Well, no, he goes to Kink. Well, yeah, he goes. No, to he Kinko's, he goes to right? Kinkos to get it copied. But he goes with with he's got the copy he's got the original copy. I, I guess I assume that Kinkos has printed it for him, printed all the copies. For Me him. too. That's what I that's what I took. No, it to he me. walks in to Kinkos with yep. the pam with with the copies and then gets more copies. But my point is the original the original oh, thing he wrote. He, he like must have, have taken a somewhere. printer on the road. Right. I don't know, man. Yeah, it's a there's a lot of weird stuff. They just kind of shuffled past a couple of things in this movie that didn't make a lot of sense all right I'm, this i've been kind of teasing this question for for a while here now on this episode so i'm going to throw it out i don't understand how jerry is broke so he's portrayed to be one of the best sports agents one of the biggest sports agents a mentor to young sports agents in the industry yep in the heyday i mean the nfl is exploding at this point this is the michael jordan era of the nba these guys represent I think it was like a couple thousand professional athletes or something. And Jerry, from what he said, helped build that sports agency from the ground. So he's been there for probably 10 years, probably started in his mid early twenties. Now he's 35 years old. Who was dead, right? Yes. That was his mentor. So he's one of the most established sports agents in the sports community. And boom, oh, my God, they fired me. And he's immediately worried about not having any money. And and she even, Renee Zellweger, refers to him, and this is all, like, within a six-month span after getting let go, refers to him as being broke to the Tidwells. So he's broke? I could sort of explain that, but it the film didn't reflect it, probably. I think Lee Steinberg went broke. So th- this was based on Lee, but it's very... Lee Lee had skeletons that they don't broach at all. Right, I think there needs to be. So you can't just go from being one of the top sports yeah. agents in the world to being broke and Unless not have, have some sort of explanation. Reason. Yeah, yes, yeah. They and they didn't. They didn't show that. it. They they could have done like a little thirty second montage at the beginning, showing like how lavish he was spending, like yeah. the fifteen Lamborghinis or something. And they didn't really do that either. Yeah. So I just hey, I just. I don't understand how he's broke. It doesn't make sense. He should be loaded and just like taking six months off to pick his next spot. Well, and you said he's desperately clawing to. 
Like, cause you're, you're right. He, he probably would have in the real world a non-compete, but if you have a non-compete, you're going to get a severance. Yes. It, yeah. If you're a 10 plus year veteran sports agent, you ab- where's human resources. I don't know where they are. Seriously. Yeah. He should absolutely have some sort of golden uh, parachute coming up. So, all right. Do you guys have any, I do have at least one more. Do you guys I got ju- at least one more. Okay. Let's keep more. going. Let's keep going. All right. My next statement involves Tom Cruise and chemistry because while he and Renee Zeltwiger again, you know, the latest Cruise film we've reviewed with no chemistry, I actually think I might have found some of the best chemistry Cruise has ever had. And it's not just with Tidwell, it's with the little boy Ray. I thought I thought Cruise and Ray actually had a very believable, nice relationship. I agree. And I actually think Cruz plays, and this gonna sound weird. I think Cruz played off that child far superior to what he did the supposed mother. He has a better chance to interact with a nine-year-old than like a twenty-five-year-old woman, it. right? I bought it though. Like, like <laughs> I agree. Like with some a- actors, you could tell it's totally forced and yeah. BS. I actually bought this as sort of cute. I originally, when he was, you know, just enamoring, you know, the head is eight pounds. I originally wrote down how much does Judd hate this kid. That was my first thought when yeah, when he made his first couple appearances. But it, but you're right. I mean, the chemistry between, the, I mean, he's pulling the bowl a bowl of cereal. That's again, that's why I don't understand the relationship. Like she's he's really good to your son. Like what what is what's so wrong about the whole thing? Was I mean, yeah. like, that's true. He was very nice. Yes, that's a good point. Yes. He was. Right. Yeah. I got one more statement here, and I think only Judd will appreciate this. To be honest, uh, my statement is a terrible abuse of shelter of the storm to finish this movie judd oh yeah it was all yeah uh bob dylan's shelter from the storm yeah great from blood on the tracks one of my father's all-time favorite albums probably on his mount rushmore of albums yeah a great bob dylan song has no business being at the end of this movie i i I have no idea who made the call and who who was the original not original score but the music composer person i bet cameron crowe did that just said, let, a... let's throw in this beautiful Bob Dylan song at the yeah. end of this movie. I thought it had no place being at the end of the film. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah, the, uh, the soundtrack this... was a little bit odd. Like, I liked a lot of the songs, but I don't know that they that they fit in. And it was super eclectic. So my guess is, because Crow, Crow's uh, career as a kid started with R- Rolling Stone, of course. Uh, and he was a big, or is a big music buff. So I think it all came from Crow, but I, I agree with you, Dex. I don't know that some of the songs fit. The replacements are in there. Yeah. Early it's, on. It's uh, I'm, I'm just pulling up the there's a Who song in there. I'm trying yeah. I'm trying to pull this some up. Good, some good stuff. I just don't know that it was really Yeah, the the Magic Bus by the Who, Getting in Tune by the Who, World on a String, Neil Young, Pocket Full of Rainbows, Elvis Presley. It's it's a it is a very uh eclectic Mm-hmm. Yeah, Paul McCartney has a song, a couple songs in here. Bruce Springsteen's Secret Garden. Yeah, Springsteen seemed to be the the star score, right? Mm. I felt like the most climactic scenes were Springsteen songs. Yeah. In his okay. days. Okay, I'll give you... Well, one of them was... I think we've already talked enough about this. I'll just give you an honorable mention statement. That being an agent would be incredibly stressful. Jerry said he takes 264 phone calls a day. That seems impossible. It just, especially in the nineties where you couldn't text and email, really, you were talking on the phone all the time. And one thing I will say is I think as far as portrayals go, uh, Jay Moore's portrayal of an agent, I think was a lot more realistic than Cruz's was. Yeah. Yeah. Cruz was too nice. I wrote down uh, that 
uh, the, the other agents, uh, Bob Sugarman, right? Is that what it was? Bob Sugar. Sugar. Bob Sugar. Um, Sugar. That it reminded me of Ari Gold. It was like it was kind of yep. diet Ari Gold from Entourage, where he's just like saying yeah. things and like, oh my god, you can't say like if you said that on a television or movie show, that would have never made the cut in today's culture. Uh, yes, there was very much some Ari Gold moments there with him yeah. too. But Knock but this was this was something totally random. It was at the very beginning of the movie, and my statement is: I'm alarmed at how quickly the world population is growing. It just struck me. So this movie was made in 1996. In the opening scene, Jerry references that there are six billion people on Earth. There's now 8 billion people on Earth. I looked it up. Almost 8 billion. Look at you. A hundred years ago, there were only 2 billion people on Earth. So Earth's been around for a long, long time. Took us a a a long time. A long time. We were dodging dinosaurs, dodging the plague, dodging... Which which is why the population was smaller. Right. Well, knocking people off. It was, yeah, it was knocking people off earlier, I guess, but like... yeah, the average the average uh, life expectancy has also doubled in the last hundred yeah. years. So it took us all these billions of years to get to two billion world population. Yep. And then we got to six billion in 1996. Now we're at we've added as many people in the last 27 years as we did in the first Are you billions fretting? of years. Are you concerned about? This I'm just saying, like, now? we need to we need to stop procreating here, folks. Like, let's <laughs> let's pump the brakes. Well, you could, a yeah. little bit. Where where are we headed here? Okay. Wow. I knew it was a little more crowded when Jeez. I went back to that Lunds in Northeast Minneapolis than it was a couple of years ago. I'm just a little nervous. Six billion, eight billion. We're going to be at ten billion, twenty billion. Where are we going to put all these people? You know what? Wood, let's take Woodbury, some calls. Woodbury. Six five one six four six eight two five five. What do you think about the population problem? Vacant house, vacant house, vacant house. Yeah. All right. It scares me a little bit. I got one more. Okay. One more statement. And this is an epiphany that I had because I have, again, never seen this film until now. Yep. This film, in my opinion, was the writing basis for a film that came along four years after that is far superior, but is the exact same uh, Cameron Crowe writer, producer, director, almost famous. which is is Cameron Crowe's life story. And it is a great film. If you have not seen it, it is a great film, but I feel like this film through, and my guess is that Crowe and Cruz spent lots of time with, with Steinberg to get this film down. And it feels to me like a lot of the nuances, because this film is sort of a sweet film. Like there's a lot about this film that's sweet and almost famous does a great job, a better job of doing the same thing. I feel like this sort of set the tone for Crow to say, I should do my story now. Yeah. And I love that film. Yep. What an interesting career. If you go look at his his IMDb or his uh, filmography on Wikipedia, it's just like there's some interesting writing. And what was the, uh, he did another famous 80s movie like later in the 80s. Was it the one with the, was it the boombox one? I got it right here. I, I don't I've, know. I've got some. Yes. Yes. He, he did Fast Times, a film called. The wildlife, and then in 1989, a masterpiece. Say anything with say John anything. Cusack, yes, yep. which is which is a great film, and again, a great soundtrack. And he he did singles too. I forgot about that. I don't think I've seen singles. Oh, you haven't? No, that is. Well, add it to the list. Oh, you got to watch that. I don't uh, bef- think it would fit our review system, but I think you would enjoy it. Before we get to the categories here, just a, a shout out to the 1996 NFL season, which is where this movie took place. I remember it well. MVP Brett Favre, 
rushing leader Barry Sanders, receiving yardage leader Isaac Bruce, passing yards leader Mark Brunel. Yeah. Upstart Jacksonville Jaguar. The lefty. Yep. Yep. So, okay, we're going to do... We're going to do three different categories across two different genres here. We're going to do believability of sports action and, and, and include like the agent part of it too on a one to 10 scale for the sports movie rewind. Okay. And then we're going to do the relationship between Jerry and Dorothy okay. in the rom-com definitive relationship rankings. And then we'll do an entertainment value ranking for just, it can be on both. So let's start with the definitive relationship rankings as a rom-com here between Jerry and Dorothy on a one to 10 scale. By the way, the only straight 10 that we've given so far is Jacob and Cal kind of a, a curveball there. We put the two guys together, crazy, stupid love hitch and Sarah from hitch and 8.8 Noah and Allie from the notebook should have been a 10, but Judd gave it a five, which means it's an 8.3. I have and people agree with me. John Fox and Cat, uh, Joe Fox and, and John Fox, Joe Fox and Cat, jo- John Fox John and Fox Kathleen and Kelly Manning. Been- <laughs> 8.3 from You've Got Mail, and then Benjamin Barry and Andy Anderson from How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days, 8.3. So, what would you give their chemistry as a couple on a one to 10 scale? Four. That was not good. Yeah, I three. Three. It's so cringy. I could even make it lower, but there were some moments that were pretty cute. I guess I don't know. And she but was it, good. She is good. Like this is not um, her problem. This is I would. Problem. She did would what she it, needed to do. Yeah. yeah. Yes. I, I yeah, give it a three. She yeah. had better chemistry in me, myself, and Irene with oh, Jim Carrey as a schizophrenic than she had with Tom Cruise and Jerry Maguire. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, and a, how, it's a two for me, which makes it a three for us across the board. How frustrating must that be, though? Like you're you're her. You're young. You're good, and you get that guy to play off of. Yeah, and but but at the same time, your career explodes because sure. you're playing that part with that guy that brings in a quarter of a billion dollars at the box office. Tom Cruise is instant make you rich, so I think you yeah, just kind of live with it. So, all right, that makes it the uh, tied for the second worst chemistry of any rom-com couple that we have reviewed, tied with Kirk and Molly from She's Out of My League, and just ahead of Michael and Jules from My Best Friend's Wedding. Okay, let's do believability of sports action in this movie. So the actual sports scenes and then like the agent life as as sort of an extension. Uh, the most believable sports movies we have done so far, Little Big League, not in terms of like the story, but the actual baseball on the field, uh-huh. 8.7. Mr. Baseball was a 7.7, and then Any Given Sunday was a 7.5. Draft Day and Mighty Ducks tied at 2.7 at the bottom of this list. <laughs> So Jerry Maguire, one through ten, believability of sports and agent uh, ratings. So the entire thing, um, I'm going to give it a seven. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give it a seven. And and look, here's the thing too. I give them credit that Monday night game between the Cardinals and Cowboys. They did a lot to make it look and yeah. feel real. That's why I was surprised that they didn't do a little bit more when Tidwell got, got hurt to make that more. You know, not totally, but a little bit more believable. But, yep, I'm going to give it a 7. I thought it was pretty good. Might be a little naive to assume, but I, I just assume that the agency part of this is very believable. I think that this is, I mean, and probably more believable back then, too. Um, yeah, the football stuff with the injury was kind of hilarious. I would have loved a Jake Plummer cameo. I love me some Jake the Snake oh, Plummer. God, there, there, yeah. I think we missed the boat there a little bit, by the way. Uh, oh. but, but believability and stuff, yeah, I, th- I think it's a solid 7 as well. 
So I, I agree with everything you guys said, but I think it's a nine. I mean, they literally had the Monday night football broadcast crew. The production looked and felt like Monday night football. I think the behind the scenes agency stuff and like we've all dealt with agents to some extent and it all felt very realistic to me. I mean, there's definitely some Hollywoodification to some of it, but I'm giving it a nine, which means it's a 7.7 tied for the second most believable sports movie we have done so far. And then that brings us to our last category, just the overall entertainment value of this movie on a one to 10 scale. The most entertaining sports movies we've done are Major League, Little Big League, and Any Given Sunday. The most entertaining rom-coms we've done are Crazy Stupid Love, The Only One with a 10, Hitch, and 10 Things I Hate About You. So how would you give this 1 to 10 scale just entertainment value? First first of all, Dex, good call. But Jake the Snake did not join the Cardinals until 97. Ah, So that's why. But great Mm. call. I do agree with that completely. But so he he was not there yet. Um, All right. I'm going to give this a, because I enjoyed it. It was, it was mindless and fun. Uh, I'm going to give it a seven. Okay. I'm going to give it a seven. It did. You, you know what? It could have cut some of the, the relationship. It's a little long. Yeah. It's well, long. and, but, but I mean, especially with cruisy boy, cause he don't necessarily work in, in a relationship. I felt like they got, did a really good job of the kid and cruise and Rod and Tom Cruise's character. Uh, but I felt like the stuff with with Renee could have been cut back a little bit, and I wouldn't have suffered. So seven. Uh yeah, two. I think that runtime of this was two seventeen. That is awfully long for this film, and I probably should have brought that up more in statements Thank too. You. I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, it, it's far too long. I it, I enjoy it. I would stop and watch. That's also a big thing for me on these rankings. Would I stop and watch this? I would probably watch a few scenes for sure. It's a six and a half for me, though. I, I can't bump this up to a seven. I think it's a six and a half for me. Okay. Uh, it's an 8.5 for me. Wow. Okay. I I like this movie a lot. Um, Show me the money. Show I me think, the money. So oh, 6.5, oh, that's an 8.5. And then what'd you say, Judd? You said uh, seven. So yeah. that divided by for me. three equals. Uh, so it's a 7.3. Jerry Maguire. Just real quick. So. Another great movie review podcast, the rewatchables on the ringer. So they've done, I don't know how many different reviews, but um, they have a great question at the end of some of their, and we don't have, I don't want to hijack this going forward. This is just sort of a one-time hijacking of this question. They ask, would this movie work now today as a 10 part Netflix series, which is because that's kind of where we got like Arnold Schwarzenegger just did uh, FUBAR for Netflix, which we loved. It's eight episodes. It's an action movie over the course of eight episodes. And it's awesome. I think Jerry Maguire would have been a great eight to ten part, like season one of Jerry Maguire, you know? Yeah. And then the, they leave you with a cliffhanger at the end. Oh. Maybe the first season is the buildup of Jerry Maguire as an agent. And then the cliffhanger at the end of season one is, oh, he got fired. Now what's going to happen? Yeah. Now we get into season two. I think if you did Lee Steinberg's life and really like, cause they, they cleaned up warts here of his real life. Yeah. I think it definitely w- would be a good show. Mm-hmm. In fact, if you guys recall, this might be uh, too far back for you, but there was a show on HBO with uh, Robert, I think it's Wold called Arliss. Yeah. About mm-hmm. an agent years ago. And it was really good. So yes, I think this 100% would work. 
Well, okay. like, you know, ballers with the rock is basically the diet version of entourage. It, it's pretty much like the more PG friendlier version of that. So yeah, I think this could work as a, like a 10 part series or as a sport agent mini series, which is also the new thing. I listen to the watch a lot, which is the same type of show. It breaks down more TV episodes than movies. And we're in that era of mini series and shows just only going three seasons. We don't see shows anymore. Go six, eight, nine yeah, seasons. There's no reason. Which no I'm reason. also, by the way, all aboard. I love mini series. I love short lived seasons. Um, but yes, I to answer the question. I think it would work really well. Before we unveil next week's movie here, shout out to our friends at Power Lodge and Miller Marine. So uh, you maybe you're listening to this as you're binging down the road, but right now it is the middle of 85 degree weather here in uh, the twin cities area where we are and power lodge and Miller Marine are providing throttle therapy on the land. And more importantly on the water with Bennington pontoons, you can find power lodge locations in Brainerd, Anami and Ramsey and Miller Marine in St. Cloud, Minnesota, powerlodge.com or millermarine.com to get into one of these bad boys. Um, Next week's movie, gentlemen, it's this is going back to strictly a sports movie here. I think I've never seen this movie straight through. Okay. Tin Cup. I've never seen with, this at all. With You've Kevin never Cass- seen this straight through? Mm-mm. Never. Mm-mm. I saw this in the theater. Oh. Really? So does this have any rom com to it or is it? Oh, of it's course a, it does. They all do. But it's yeah. a but it's a sports movie, right? I've never seen Tin Cup. This Tin Cup is um Costner, right? Mm-hmm. Oh no! It's got rom com to it. Are you kidding? It's Costner. Okay, it, but are we going to have it's the same conundrum with... here? Where yeah. it's yes, I think so. Wow. But yeah, but but I this film, but it it's more sports. Okay. But yes, it's going to be. There are look look everything Costner did at that time is tinged with some type of sexual tension. Okay. Including right. Bull Durham. Yeah, which is, know, a, well, which is a great oh. baseball film, but a rom com too. That's a good point. Yeah, um, that's probably I mean, a good it's point. Con- but it's not but, Cruz; it's Costner. But it's being it's being uh, framed up as a sports movie for now, and then we can yeah, make an executive fine. decision. So it's a great film to watch for next week's movie. Never seen that, Mackie. I know it's crazy. Oh my god! It's right in the mid '90s. It's my wheelhouse as a golf. You love golf? I know. I know. It has so, lines from it. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Excited for it. All right, that's a wrap here. Movie reviews with Mackie and Judd. If you could on Apple, give us a five-star rating and a positive review. Help spread the word about these movie reviews here, and uh, we'll do it again next week for Tin Cup.